Good morning, church. I hope that you're awake and got some coffee. It's a little cold, isn't it? I don't know, like yesterday I was volunteering at Egg Venture. We were outside and my hands were numb. It's hard to believe that yesterday was the first day of spring. So thank you all for being here. And I hope that you've had a great, great weekend. Uh, for those of you who have kids in the public school system, I know for us, um, having a little e-learning day on Thursday and a day off on Friday was nice. We, let our, we made our kids uh, clean our house on e-learning day. So... Thank you, Cobb County, or Cobb County, Greenville County. I'm from Cobb County. I don't know why I said that. But anyway, I need some extra coffee. Anybody, can I get an amen, all right? So, uh, but it's good to see you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Matthew's the first gospel. I'm in the New Testament, and we've been walking um, through this famous sermon that Jesus preached um, and taught on the hills of the, uh, Jerusalem at overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and we see this in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's gospel, where he's just, Jesus is teaching to this crowd of religious um, Jews that are gathered on that hillside, and he's unpacking a lot of stuff. And so this is, if you've been with us, this is our sixth week. We're wrapping it up today. And some of you might be like, man, I feel like it was just getting good. Some of you might, say, you might be saying, thank the Lord. You know, it's a lot. We've covered a lot of ground. Jesus talks about a lot of different things, um, about anything. We started from the Beatitudes to different things like loving our enemies and talking about lust and adultery um, to false prophets last week, right? And, and so... To, um, this, this morning, we're going to look as Jesus is really closing down this sermon. To be honest, he is really, as he's closing down, he is turning up the heat. He, he is going to put our, our feet to the fire and starts to kind of really turn it up to the listeners then and to us now. Because if you remember, kind of the overarching theme of this entire teaching is Jesus is redefining what it means to be a follower of his. And they have, the Jews have been experiencing a lot of different things. They look at the Pharisees and the scribes as these religious leaders, and they look at them as kind of the examples to follow. And to be honest, those guys were just kind of, and Jesus calls it out, that on the outside it looks like everything's good, but the inside was, of their cup was dirty. And so Jesus is unpacking this, redefining what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And as you can imagine, the listeners are really like leaning in. I mean, this is a whole new concept um, to them. And they're, they're like, what? And we saw a couple weeks ago that Jesus was saying, hey, you've heard it said this way, but I'm here to tell you this. So just imagine that they've been like living their life this way historically. Their ancestors and generations before them were living a certain way. And Jesus comes up and is like, hey, I'm just going to let you know, I'm going to change everything. And he says, I'm not abolishing the law, but I'm going to fulfill the law. So he starts to unpack these things, and we see that it's really this internal message of, hey, what's going on inside is more important than the outside. Because once you change the inside, once the inside um, is transformed, then the outside takes care of itself in a lot of ways. And so Jesus is unpacking this, walking through, teaching all these principles, and he's, he's about to um, really just have a mic drop moment where he is in the face, and I've talked about this over the last couple of weeks if you've been here, but it's a very sobering passage that, he, that he, um, he hits on. And so let's read this together, and we're going to kind of walk through it and unpack it um, in Matthew chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 21. Follow along. If you don't have your Bibles, it's also on the screen. You can always download our app as well. But here's what Jesus says. He says, Not everyone who says to me, 
Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, just think about that. The, the Jews at this time are saying, what? We've been doing everything that our parents taught us, that the Pharisees have taught us. We're doing all these things. And now you're saying that not everybody who does maybe does those things is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter. Um, and so he then says, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. He says on that day that many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, this has to be like a mic drop moment, punching those, uh, the Jews in the face. Not that Jesus was a physical creature, okay? But you know what I'm saying. Like, it is just like, like okay, what did you just say? Like, come again? Because Jesus is saying, not everybody who's going to say, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He even then goes on to say, some are going to say, well, we did prophecy in your name. We casted out demons in your name. We even did mighty works in your name. And he still says, Depart from me, I never knew you. Now, I think what Jesus is hitting on here, and a lot of this, of his Sermon on the Mount, is this, is this thing of self-deception. He's tackling the issue of self-deception that you and I are wrestling with, the Jews are wrestling with there, where at the time they thought, okay, I can earn righteousness and I can earn my way into heaven by doing all this religious activity. It's kind of like this religious treadmill. Um, I don't know if you've ever been on the treadmill. I hate treadmills because essentially if you are on a treadmill for a long time, you get off, you feel like you're still like on a treadmill. Have you ever experienced that? But I just, I feel like I'm a pretty coordinated individual. But every time I get on a treadmill and I try to turn it up, I end up running and I hit like the side and I feel like an idiot. You've ever done that? Where you're like, yeah, this feels good. You're like, oh, gosh, you know. And you just feel like a moron. You're like, okay, let me slow that down. I'm going to try a bike, all right? I'm going to go over here and do some cycling. But, um, but you think like a lot of times we're, I feel like we're on this religious treadmill where it's like a lot of times it's really, really fast. And we can't. We can't keep up with the pace, and we're just doing, 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 doing. And the Jews at the time, that's what they were feeling. They were doing all these different things that the Pharisees were like, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to celebrate this holiday, you can't eat meat, you got to dress this way, you got to wear your hair this way, ladies can't wear makeup, you got to do all these different things. And it was just all of this checklist of things that they had to do of religious activity. And so for Jesus to come and say, just because you say you do all that stuff doesn't even guarantee you to get into heaven. And so that's a sobering thought. And I think we live in a world that, and we're going to unpack this in just a second, is that we kind of, kind of buy into that. And maybe it's unintentional, but we start doing all these religious activities. Now, listen, I'm not saying you, you should go to church. You know, obviously I'm a pastor. You should be here. You should tithe. You should serve. You should do those things as an outpour of what God is doing in you. But as we're doing those things, if we miss the point that Jesus is talking here, just because you do all these, those things doesn't mean that you're going to heaven, right? It doesn't mean that. I love what um, our lead pastor, Wayne, you know, he's country, and I, I try to make fun of him all the time. But he said a couple weeks ago at a, um, a thing, he said, I don't care if you went to Ebenezer 9 Baptist Church on Booger Holler Road. I'm like, Booger Holler? 
Like, what in the world? Like, that's actually a place, by the way. But, like, think about it. Like, I'm like, what is he talking about? That's just, that's just how he is, and I love him to death. But it's like, just because you grew up in the church, you do all the churchy things, you even have, like, the language down, who cares? And, and so in this, Jesus doesn't say, okay, you know, you go to church, you know, come to heaven. You know, oh, you know what? You gave a really big check. That was awesome. Come to heaven. You know, oh, you grew up. Southern Baptist, okay, come to heaven. No, what he says is like, it's not about those things. And this is, this is what I love. He talks about knowing him. And if we're going to think about this, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. Our eternal salvation is not about your works for God, but God's work for you. So often we kind of put this whole thing and we even buy into the picture. If I'm going to be a Christian, I have to do all these good things. Right, I have to do this and do this. I got dressed this way and I got to act this way. And I remember, like when I became a Christian, and I was uh, I was fourteen. And some of you know my story, but like I was listening to like Green Day and Metallica, Nirvana, and all this other stuff. And I remember it was like we had a youth group thing that's like you can't listen to that music anymore. So we're having a bonfire, and everybody's going to throw their CDs in the bonfire. Did you ever have that if you grew up in church? And I'm like man, I love that Nirvana CD, you know, I'm like throwing it out. I mean, I love Offspring throwing that in there, you know, I'm like Led Zeppelin. Yeah, man, isn't it? They're Christian. They said Stairway to Heaven, right? <laughs> you know, and so it's just, I'm like, okay. And it was like all this stuff that you kind of think and you buy into. And Jesus is saying, it's not, your salvation is not about your works for God. Your salvation isn't centered around you. It's God's work for you. And that's by sending Jesus to die on the cross for you and me. That is the gospel in this. But then he dives a little bit further in this as Jesus is telling the listeners of this. And it really begs a question, but because he says this, he says, um, you know, after they're like, hey, didn't we do all these things for you? Then Jesus declared to them, I never knew you workers of lawlessness. So they were workers of all the busy religious activity, but did they really know him? Because Jesus is saying, I never knew you. And so the question that we face in this is, does Jesus know you? Now, I don't know about you. I grew up kind of hearing um, it's all about who you know. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's all about who you know. If you want to kind of get ahead of life, you've got to know people here and this. It's all about who you know. Now, my youth pastor, um, now this is a little bit out of context, but he always told me, he said, it's not about who you know. It's about who knows you. Now, he would say that because sometimes he would get some some awesome handouts, you know, and get some things like, hey, you know, we got a lake house or whatever. And he's like, it's all about who knows you, you know, type thing. And, and, but you think about this in the context of Jesus right here, it's not about just us knowing Jesus. It's about him knowing us. Now, I want to be really careful of this. Of course, God is sovereign. He's a great creator. He knows us, all right? Scripture over and over again talks about he calls us by name. He knew us in, in our mother's womb before we were born. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows all those things. But, but does he know you, know you? Now, for most of you, you, you know me. You know our family. But for some of you, you don't like know me, know me. But if we started hanging out, you know, you invited me over for dinner, lunch, we went to coffee, started hanging out, swapped stories, all that kind of stuff, watched sports together, all those different things, you would get to know me, right? And then you would know me, know me. And the thing is, is that you might say, oh, well, I know Dustin, but I don't know him, know him. And Jesus is saying he wants to know you, know you. 
And what that means is Jesus is highlighting in this when he says, I never knew you. He's pointing to a relationship. It's not the religious activity of things. It's the relationship that is central in this. It's knowing him and him knowing you. Jesus knowing us is the single most important thing for all of our life. In all of our lives, Jesus knowing us, for us to have this relationship and this, this demeanor and this walk that we're able to talk and, and um, do things together and, and get to know each other. We're getting to know him, and, and he knows us, knows us, not based on religious activity, but by just being with him and having this relationship with him. This is where we get it wrong, that we so often are just doing all the things, and we do them, and it's like routine, and they're good things. But at the same time, do we really, are we really in tune with our relationship with Jesus? Does he really know us? It's this relationship. So he's pointing to the Jews in this moment. He's like, hey, it's about me knowing you. It's not about wear your hair this way and do this thing and that thing. It's not legalism. It's not this old covenant. I know I'm changing some things, but it's about a relationship with each other. It's about us knowing each other. It's about us hanging out with each other. And he's saying, I want to know you. But Jesus doesn't stop in that moment, right? Because even though like knowing us is this relational thing that we're we're working on, that we're in God's word, and he, he knows us, he goes further in this. And this is how he concludes the Sermon on the Mount. So let's pick up in verse 24. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine. So think about this. He's like, everything that I've talked about, all this sermon, you know, in the last, what we know is chapters, everything that I've taught, taught you um, during this hillside, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house. But it did not fall, because it was founded on the rock. Then he says the second thing. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Now, if you've been here the last couple weeks, you know that Jesus is really, in in this, um, the end of his sermon, he's kind of doing some, like, comparing and contrasting. Remember, he talked about a narrow gate and a wide gate, and he's like, enter through the narrow gate. It's going to be hard, but that way leads to life. Last week, we looked at um, uh, uh, false prophets, and he's like, hey, listen, false prophets are... Um, really wolves and sheep's clothing. So you, you see the comparison there. Um, and so here he's talking about how we build our house. And he's saying, hey, build on a solid foundation. Now, I would probably say that all of y'all would agree with me on this. One of my dreams, I would love to have a beach house. Can I get an amen? Okay. Everybody's like, yeah, me too, pastor. All right. I would love to have a beach house. It's just awesome, you know. There's a part of me that's like, man, it's so awesome. I love to have it and rent it out. But every, t- every summer, Sloan's family, her grandma is very generous. We rent a beach house um, in Myrtle Beach, you know, uh, Redneck Riviera. And we go to Myrtle, um, the Dirty Myrtle, and we go and we rent a house. 
and um, there's like 30 of us in one house, and it's a great time. It's not a vacation, but it's a great time, okay? And we go, and every time we go, uh, maybe this is like the nerd in me, there's a part of me that dreams, and I'm like, man, it'd be so nice to have one of these, and I would just rent it out, and I'd just be swimming in money. No, I don't think like that, but I'm like, it'd be nice, but then... If you've ever stayed at a beach house or maybe you've owned one or your family owned one, the upkeep on a beach house is, like, ridiculous. Because I go and I'm like, man, you know, anything from, like, the roof and, like, the salt water just corrodes everything. And it's, like, rusty and stuff. And then when you rent your house, everybody's like, it's a rental. Who cares? And they just treat it really bad. And you have to paint it all this time and whatever. And all the special code you have to go into, it's just a mess of those things, but there's still an aspect, I'm like, man, it'd be really nice, but every time we go to these different houses, I kind of look, and I'm like, how is this thing built, you know, because it's usually on stilts, and we have to drive underneath, and you kind of see how things are built, and all that kind of stuff, but uh, I want to show you a picture of a beach house, okay, so throw this picture up, all right, so this is in Mexico Beach, Florida, and in 2018, Hurricane Michael um, came in and, as you can see, destroyed pretty much every house but this one at the bottom of the screen. So it was a Category 5. It came in, just wiped out everything. But this one house at the bottom of the screen is owned by um, Dr. Lee um, LeBron Lackey is his name. Now, he is a doctor from Cleveland, Tennessee, and so no um, redneck Tennessee jokes, okay, because his house is standing. And so this hurricane came in, destroyed tons and tons of stuff, as you, you can see. Well, when um, him and his uncle decided to build this house, they were anticipating at some point a huge hurricane was going to come at some point. And so if they're going to put all this money and investment into a beach house, we're going to make it stand. So what they did is they ended up, they took a longer process to plan. They ended up spending about 20% more on this beach house. But as they're doing it, they're starting to do this, th these things and engineering it a little bit better than everybody else. Their neighbors, as the story goes in the news articles, their neighbors thought they were crazy. Said, you are wasting your money. Why are you spending all this cash? You know, you don't need to do all that. You know, even things like we've never been hit by a hurricane. It never comes in here, that kind of stuff. And he said, I don't care. I'm going to build it. And, and I quote, this is what he said. I built this house to sustain the big one. All right. That's what he said. And so what he did, him and his uncle, as they built this, they went over and above code. As they're planning for this. So, for instance, you know, if you've ever been to a beach house, they have these pillars that go into the sand. In Mexico Beach, Florida, the code is that the pillars need to go 16 feet into the ground. Well, they did them 40 feet. <laughs> okay. Think about that. Crazy. So then their roof had to meet code. It had to like, you know, you have to have certain straps and it's going to be a certain size and pitch and all this stuff to withstand 111 mile an hour winds. Well, they built it with extra straps, and think about the engineering of this. You know, like the overhang on your house, it's called the soffit? Well, they did a smaller soffit, so it couldn't, like a gust of wind, couldn't pick it up and all this sort of stuff. So the roof was actually rated above code, not 111 miles an hour, but for 250 mile an hour winds, all right? So in this, the only damage to their house was a uh, broken window in their bathroom, 
and a staircase had shifted, all right? But as you can see, everybody around, because they planned for this. Now, I use this as an illustration, and I'm going to point to this a little bit, is that um, when they knew, they were planning, they built this house with the, the termination, we want it to stand. And when you and I build our lives, as Jesus is saying, like a wise man, and it's built on the foundation. Now, let's go spiritual for a second. When we build our lives on the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ, when we build our lives on that foundation, when the storms come and the hard times come and the grieving comes and when we lose our job, when we lose a loved one, when we're going through a hard time in our marriage, when our kids are are like prodigal sons and daughters, all those things, when we are built on a solid foundation and we've planned that way, Our foundation isn't destroyed. Our lives are still intact. It's going to be hard. It's going to, we need some encouragement. I'm not saying it's like, ah, you know, everything's going great, you know. But we still have this solid foundation that's happening. Because when we're not built on a solid foundation, what ends up happening is when the storms come, when the rain hits, and the storm beats down, and the foundation and everything around it um, has been eroded away, it really reveals the foundation of our lives, doesn't it? And so often we build our lives on things other than Jesus. Good things, that's what the Jews were doing here. They were building it on good things, good religious things. But at the same time, Jesus said, it needs to be built on our relationship and you hearing the things that I just taught and then doing those things. Now here's, this is blows my mind, okay? So because... Dr. Lackey and his uncle built the house this way. Do you see the house behind it? All right, now it wasn't built, um, you can see it's a little bit smaller. It wasn't built like Dr. Lackey's house. But because Dr. Lackey built his house this way, and it was built to withstand the storm and that Category 5 hurricane, because he was intentional and was built on a solid foundation, the house behind him reaped the benefits, didn't it? It protected them. And here's the truth of this. I know you're like, oh, you're overly spiritualizing this. But think about it. When you and I are built on that foundation of Jesus, when you and I are built on that, it helps people around us. Have you ever been through a hard time and like, if you are built, and I see this all the time as a pastor, when we're built on, um, on, on the foundation of Jesus, and people are like, how are you going through this hard time? It's like, I don't even really know. All I can say is Jesus. When people see that, they're like, whoa, man, I'm going through a hard time, and now I see your life is built on that foundation, and it helps them in their faith because of your faith. Are you tracking with me? And so because when we're built on a solid foundation, other people can see that and say, wow, their faith is just amazing, and it helps, it helps them. Now, think about this, this picture that Jesus is painting right here. They're, they're on this hillside in Jerusalem overlooking the Sea of Galilee. It is a really sandy area, and in the summer months, it gets super hot, and the sand gets really, really hard. And so for the foolish person, as Jesus is saying, they build their house, they're like, this sand is hard, let's build right here. But the wise man says, uh-uh, we got to dig deep. We got to be firmly planted. We need to find some, some, some bedrock 
to do this. I'm not a housing builder. I'm not an engineer. I just know you can't, be, you can't build a house on sand, okay? I think the Greek word for foolish in here is moron. But, um, you know, it's just one of those things that people say, oh, that sand is pretty hard. Let's build a house. And so Jesus is showing this visual, and he's saying, hey, you see the sand? Don't be like the foolish person who builds a house on the shifting sand. Go to bedrock. Go deep in your faith. Reach deep into the word of God. Don't be a shallow believer who's just, okay, let me do all the religious things. Let's think about it. We get caught up in that in the Bible Belt of the South, and we're, we're good people. We do all be deep in your faith in such a way that when the storm comes, your house is still standing. And you know what's interesting? Because I was thinking about this. Is if you've ever been to you know, any beach and you see all the beach houses, you really do not know what their foundation is built on. One house, I mean, the footing could be like two feet deep. And the one next to it, it could be 40 feet deep like this gentleman's. But it's when those storms hit, it really reveals where your foundation is. And you can really see, wow, it's shallow in that area. And it's, it's deep. That person was deep in their faith in this. And I, and I love that because, and here's what happens. And I see this all the time. When our lives are not built on a solid foundation and that storm hits and the rain comes and it is not easy and we've built our lives on everything else but Jesus, when it crumbles and it is destroyed and damaged, the collateral damage that happens is heartbreaking. For instance, this is a, a, a mom and a dad who aren't walking with Jesus and divorce happens and the collateral damage is to their kids and family members and friends. This is when you put all your hope and trust in your job and you lose your job and then you just enter into depression and all the collateral damage happens. And so we have to be very careful that as believers, our lives are not built on this shaky thing that we think and we are self-deceived is a solid foundation. Let me just get this job. Let me just get these kids and our, our, our marriage will be fixed. Let me just go to church and do all this religious activity. No, it's a, deeper, it's a deeper issue for us to say, I need to build my life on the solid foundation, which is Jesus. And let me challenge you that if that is not your foundation this morning, please talk to me. Talk to someone on staff. Let's walk through, hey, I've been, I'm just going through a lot of different things right now, and my life is not built on that because what they were doing is saying it's going to be built on me. The Jews were saying it's going to be built on us and our activity, and Jesus said, no, 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 let it be built on me. I'm the solid rock in this. And when we build our lives differently, when we build our lives differently than the world, we can make a kingdom, kingdom difference in the world. When people see that we have this solid foundation, as, as James says, I love this, to be doers of the word, not just hearers, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. When you hear these words and you do them to get to work, the majority of our problems for many of us is not that we don't know the Bible, it's that we don't do the Bible, right? Is that we hear all these things, we know what we're supposed to do and we don't live it out. We're not building that foundation. Let us build this foundation in such a way that we live differently. And as we do that, we're able to impact the world. It says, man, they're going through a hard time, but they have hope. What, hey, what is that hope? It's in Jesus. I mean, you're going through some difficult time. How do you get through that storm? 
I have my faith in Jesus. It's not easy. I'm just going to trust the Lord in this. And when it goes through that, we are able to impact the world and to be like Dr. Lackey and people be like, you're doing something differently. <laughs> your, your foundation is on Jesus. Let me close with this passage from John. I love this. John kind of puts it, um, what Jesus is saying in his own words, same principle. In chapter 2 of 1 John, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of our eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, I know I'm guilty of times trusting myself and building my life on my own foundation. And sometimes I'm in a hurry. Sometimes it's a quick fix. And it really isn't a solid foundation. And so, God, I pray that each of us, if our desire is to walk with you, that it's also our desire to have a solid foundation that's based on you and not our works. Our salvation is not in the things that we do, it's but, but what you have done through your son, Jesus. And so allow our lives to be built on that, on the solid rock, on the only way that brings hope into our lives, the only way that is sustainable to keep our eyes on something bigger than just the things of this world. And as John says, let us love those things. And we might not see it. We might not know what's going on. We might not know the right path, but we know that God, you are there. You are that foundation. And if we dig deep in our faith and we are rooted and, and really just strapped to you, God, in our foundation, you'll be with us. You will be working when the storm hits. The times where we just want to quit, we just want to cry, we just don't know which way to turn, you are there saying, look to me, I'm the way. Build your life on me, I'm the way. Forgive us where we make it about ourselves and not you. And so Father, as we sing this last song as a response, will you hear our voices, will you hear our cries, will you hear our hearts proclaiming that you are that way. It's not us, it's not the things of this world, it's you. It's in your son's name that we pray, amen. Let's stand and worship together.